Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. The Lord Jesus often started his sayings with the words, Verily, verily, which means, Truly, truly, or I am telling you the truth. Why did he do this? Well, he wants his hearers to understand beyond the shadow of a doubt that he was speaking with authority and power. It can be trusted. What he was about to say should be given the utmost of attention and the highest of priorities. Wouldn't you listen carefully to every word spoken by the Son of God? We hope so. Today's message by Speaker Eugene Higgins is all about assurance of salvation. God not only wants us to be saved, but he wants us to know it assuredly with no doubts. It is possible for you to know that all your sins have been forgiven. It is not only possible, it is imperative. Being sure of heaven is something you need to know now, at this present moment, not what you find out with great surprise after you die. We hope that this message will be a help to all those listening who are saved and a warning to all those who are not. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. If you just kept to the gospel of John, Just think of the impressive credentials that would be put into your hand to figure out who is this person who is saying, verily, verily, I'm saying to you. For instance, a friend of his died, a man named Lazarus. And the Lord Jesus appears on the scene four days later. And the body of his friend is lying inside a rock sepulcher. The Lord Jesus says to the people, roll away the stone. What did he use to summon this dead man's soul from heaven? His body from that sepulcher, reunite them and bring that man out. He used his word. He sent his word into that cave sepulcher. And out comes a man who had been dead four days. Chapter 8. The men of the city have thrown this woman at the feet of the Lord Jesus. You can almost, you can almost see her hit the dust at his feet and the cloud rise as she's lying there with these, these men filled with hatred standing around her. And they say to the Lord Jesus, you know what kind of woman this is? We caught her in the very act of wickedness. Now, what should we do with her? And, of course, they figured that the Lord Jesus was trapped, that they had him on the horns of a dilemma. If he said, well, she should be put to death for her sin, then they would run to the Roman authorities and say that this false Messiah, he's telling us that we should be executing people. And, of course, Rome had taken that ability away from the subjected nation, Israel. If, on the other hand, he said, let her go, then they run to the people and they say, how could this man be from God? The word of God says she should be punished, and he says to let her go. So they thought, no matter what he says, this is a catch-22 situation. No matter how he answers, we have him. I have no idea what the Lord Jesus wrote on the ground when he stooped and wrote. Maybe it was the Ten Commandments. I don't know. But something was beginning to work in the hearts of these people, these men, when the Lord Jesus said, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. 
And beginning with the oldest man there, working way down to the youngest, they began to think, he knows. He knows what I've done. I don't know how he knows, but he knows I've got to get out of here. And they quietly slipped away. He said, where are your accusers? Has, has nobody accused you? She says, no man, Lord. He says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And there, as in many other occasions, he extended forgiveness to a guilty sinner. How did he do it? What power reached into heaven to erase the record of a person's sin? His word. The very word of the one who was speaking to you. Remember in John chapter 4? When miles away there's a boy that's dying and the Lord Jesus says to this father, go your way, your son lives. He says the word here, boy suddenly is well. The fever is gone. He sits up healed. And when a servant comes to meet the father on the way home the next day, the father finds out that it was at the very point where Jesus said, go home, your boy lives, that back home the boy was well. What power did he use? His word. Because his is the voice of absolute authority. Of course, his is the voice of unquestioned ability. And when it comes to the Lord Jesus, you remember what Mary, his mother, said to the servants? Whatever he says to you, do it. She understood that his word will be carried out. As you read through the Gospels, you understand that these things meant nothing to the Savior. They imposed no barriers, no obstacles to him. Distance. He's here, but the boy can be healed there. He doesn't need to go home to heal the boy. He can speak the word here, and it happens there. It takes effect there. Demonic power. He can take a man rushing headlong down the side of a mountain who is who is wild and fanatical. And he can release that man. Death. He can raise from the dead a boy that has just died and is being prepared for burial. A man that has died and been buried and in the grave four days. And a little girl who just died and is still on her bed in her home. Danger. Disease. Death. Demons. The devil. Distance. Things that limit us. They were no problem. They were no limit to this person. No one ever appealed to the Lord Jesus and found someone who could not meet his or her spiritual need. His is the voice of absolute authority. His is the voice of unquestioned ability. What does that mean to us today? That his is the voice of supreme reliability. He is trustworthy and dependable. There is somebody speaking to you whom you can trust wholeheartedly. He never lies. He never fails. He never exaggerates. He never makes a statement and then changes his mind about that truth. And he's offering you his word. And that's why it is supremely reliable. You do this kind of thing all the time, don't you? You don't ask for a, a, a criminal background check on the waiter who's pouring your water, do you? You bite into your Big Mac and you never ask to, to find out, what, what, what about the fellow who made this in the back room there where I can't see? Is he, is he trustworthy? Is he reliable? You never think about that. You step on the elevator. You may not even know how elevators work or what Mr. Otis dreamed up. But you know, you've seen others do that. And so you just step into the elevator yourself, don't you? Well, now here is someone who has been tested and proven by millions of people, stretched out over thousands of years. He has never failed once. He has never let down one of those people who have trusted him. And therefore, you can rely on his word. His is the voice of supreme reliability. You know, that is why when we preach the gospel, we don't tell people how to believe. We tell them whom to believe. Believing is accepting something is true. But my responsibility is to tell you how trustworthy God is and to give you his word in the hopes that you will be wise enough to realize if this is what God says, then I can trust this. 
He that hears my word and believes God that sent me has everlasting life. Do you notice that in the verse the Lord Jesus is telling us about the accomplishing of the purpose? God that sent me. God that sent me. None of us, none of us is sent by God. You never existed before you came into this world. You had no choice in your coming into the world. You didn't, of your own volition, decide, I will be born. But one time in the history of our world, there was a man who chose to come. He was sent by his father. The father sent the son to be the savior of the world. But because the will of his father and the will of the son of God, the Lord Jesus, are identical, the Bible tells us that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That he made the choice to come because he always chooses to do what his father wishes. And he came. It was a cosmic rescue mission. He came from the throne of the universe down to our world. He came as a shepherd to seek the lost sheep. Zacchaeus learned that. And Luke chapter 19 verses 1 to 10. That's one of those glorious Bible passages where the key is hanging at the back door. And you wonder why Zacchaeus out of this whole city. Why is it only Zacchaeus inside the walls of that city who obtained salvation? And of course, the Lord Jesus explains it at the end of the passage. The Son of Man has come, the Lord Jesus, the Son of Man, has come to seek and to save the lost. Here was a man, Zacchaeus, who knew he was lost. Here was a Savior who came just for lost sinners. And Zacchaeus is running to meet Christ because Zacchaeus knows he is lost. Do you know why he came? you know what the purpose was? He came to be the sacrifice for guilty sinners. Here is how Peter, his disciple, put it. Christ suffered for sins. The just one... For the unjust one, that he might bring us to God. Got that? Christ suffered for sins, the just one, for the unjust one, that he might bring us to God. And on the cross, the Lord Jesus, the only perfect man who ever lived, was bearing my sins, was taking the penalty that those sins deserve, and was suffering so that I would never have to suffer for my sins. He came into the world as the Savior to deliver Helpless men and women. I was going to tell you that I had a very dear friend. I'd have to tell you that. Even though he was an older man, he was born in 1914, he was a a very close friend of my family. And his mother and father were saved, but uh, had very little interest in salvation. One day, as he was coming down the steps of his home, and he was going out to play cards, why he never noticed this before, he just happened to look up at something that was hanging on the wall beside the door. And it was words from the Bible. And it said, the wages of sin is death. And for some reason, that stuck with him. The wages of sin is death. Then he went to play cards. They're in the middle of the game. I cannot tell you whether he cheated or not, but his friend thought he did. And he threw his hand down and he said, you're a cheater. You're going to hell and you deserve it. And he got him left. I don't think he meant it in a theological sense when he told him you're going to hell and you deserve it. But that went like an arrow. The wages of sin is death. You're going to hell and you deserve it. And the next day, he's standing waiting for a bus. And a man comes up to him, a perfect stranger that he never saw before and he never met again. And out of the blue, this man says to him, young man, if you die without Christ, you will be in hell for eternity. I don't think I will ever forget the touching way that he talked about going home, coming down the stairs to his mother and saying to her, whatever happened to that old army Bible that you gave me? She turned stunned that her boy was asking for the Bible. She got the army Bible out for him and he began to read it and then he went to a gospel meeting. Now, I've told you about noticing that verse hanging on the the wall for the first time, about his friend at the card table, about the perfect stranger at the bus stop. Now, just one more thing. In that gospel meeting that night, the preacher stopped, looked right down at this young man sitting in the meeting and said, I have never done this before, 
But I feel strongly there is a young man in this meeting who is lost and needs Christ, and I hope he will be saved tonight. And that was it. When the meeting was done, Clay gets up. Instead of going back to the door to leave, makes his way up to the preacher, and he says, I'm that young man. The preacher read to him the verse you have read, 34 words in our English Bible. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation, is passed from death unto life. He just drank that in, that Christ had come for him and was offering him eternal life. He turned to his friends who were standing at the back, the boys who came with him, and he says, Fellas, God has converted me here tonight. Saved. Saved. Because he trusted the Savior who came to save sinners. This was the purpose for which he came. This rescue mission was on your behalf. This is what the Savior said about Calvary. Now is a judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all unto me. Now is a judgment of this world. You remember in Noah's day, and the description we have, Peter says the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. Do you remember the fire that fell on Sodom and Gomorrah? The boiling cauldron of divine wrath, spilling over on those four cities, Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboam. And when Abraham looked down into the valley after the fire had fallen, he said it was like looking into a a furnace as the smoke was ascending up. Calvary, Calvary was a world judgment. We're just like the waters of that flood that overwhelmed the world, like the fire that fell on that valley. The judgment of God fell on the Lord Jesus instead of on this world. It fell on him instead of falling where it should have on me. And there at Calvary, Christ endured, he bore, he suffered that judgment. And as Christians so often love to think, the Bible makes it clear that for the first time, the sufferer, the sacrifice, the substitute was even greater than the fire and the flood and the judgment that fell. So that he was able to bear it all and endure it all and extinguish the fire. And now he offers to you, Exemption from judgment and safety and assurance, all because he accomplished the purpose for which he came. Would you notice with me that in the verse, the Lord Jesus tells us about a sinner acquiring this possession. Hath everlasting life. He that hears my word and believes God that sent me shall not come into condemnation. Hath everlasting life is passed from death to life. He that hears my word, have you heard it? And believes God that sent me. Is this true? Hath everlasting life. The possession is everlasting life. You have life now. But that's mere existence if you don't have everlasting life. What the Lord Jesus is offering to you tonight is the life that is required and that fits you to live with God forever. It's not merely endless existence. Because you see, if you just take what you know of life now, and then imagine this thing going on forever and ever and ever. Well, I will tell you that that sounds pretty boring. Everlasting life. (laughs) My friend, that's the most exciting thing there is. To live forever with God and Christ and the Holy Spirit and the best people that have ever lived. The redeemed of all ages. To learn about God forever and ever and ever. To serve him, to see him, to be like him. To be free from sin. To live in a world where death and sorrow and pain and tears will never come. To be forever with a father that loves you and a savior who died for you. And to be in the greatest family that the world has ever known. And forever there, safe, secure. That's just a part of what is meant by 
everlasting life. You know that this is the judge that's speaking in this verse, and he is telling you about the protection that he offers. Shall not come into judgment. Shall not come into judgment. That's the judge speaking. No condemnation. This is not a pastor or a priest or a minister or an evangelist or an elder who's telling you this. This is the judge himself who says to you, the person who hears my word and believes God that sent me shall not come into judgment. And the judge is offering you his word. Verily, verily, I say to you, he that hears my word and believes God that sent me has everlasting life. Notice, please, the assurance of the promise. If I were telling you something that I thought you would find incredible, then I might say to you something like this. Look, I want you to believe me. What I'm telling you is the truth. But the person who is speaking here, one of his names is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And the truth says to you, it's true. It's true. Isn't that remarkable? One of his titles is the word. In the beginning, John says, was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. The word. This is the written word. Christ is the living word. Now the word says to you, I'm giving you my word. I'm giving you my word. One of his titles is the life. And the person who is life itself says, I'm offering you eternal life. There was a young woman, very good friend of my daughter's and mine. Her life became terribly twisted. And I went to have meetings in a place where she had moved. She had moved from where she lived to the Midwest, and I went there trying to help her. She was working in a bagel store at the time, and she came to a few of the meetings. And the last day, I sat across from her. Her arm was like a pincushion. She said to me, uh, really messed up, haven't I? Well, I said, I was hoping these meetings would be a help to you. A year or so later, she came down from where she lived for our Christian conference. And she was a totally different girl. I could see by the way she was listening, even by the way she was acting in the home, that she was finally, finally approaching life seriously and weighing things. Now, my daughter was going to go with me to Halifax, Nova Scotia. I was going up for a week of meetings for Christians, what we call ministry meetings, not gospel meetings like this, meetings for Christians. My daughter and I talked it over and we thought, would it help, would it help this woman if she came with us? And so we invited her. And somehow, she got the time off from work, and she came with us. We were driving. She needed to go to the store. She was sitting in the back seat. And I said to her as we pulled up, I said, I didn't want to crowd you. So I haven't said much to you, but there's something going on, isn't there? It was like it was right there. You know, it just burst right out of her. She said, I think I got saved, but she said, I'm not sure. And she said, I just, all I want is to have what the Christians have. She said, I'm just so tired of my sins and my life of sin. I just want, I just want what these people have. And she said, I thought I got saved, but I don't know. So back we went to the house, got out the Bible. Now, let me make a long story short. She read the 34 words you read. She read them to herself. And I said to her, there's three things in this verse that the Lord Jesus unites, and you can't separate them. He says, if a person hears my word, believes that what God says is true, that person has everlasting life. Now, you can hear his word, not believe it, and not have everlasting life. But you cannot hear his word. Bow to the truth of what he says. Not have everlasting. Or he would be a liar. You know what she did? She closed the Bible. That's it. She said, I just needed to see it in black and white for myself. She said, he says it. It's got to be true because he says it. Who says it? The man who can raise dead people from their graves with just his word. 
The man that can still a storm, a raging tempest on a sea with just his word. The man who can stand here and command disease miles away to leave a boy. The man who looks into the blazing eyes of a feral, violent, brutal, demonic and free that man with his word. And I might as well tell you, person who despite Charles Darwin and all the rest, flung worlds into being with nothing else but his word. And if that's not incredible enough, the person who planted on this planet that elusive, incredible, marvelous thing called life, that's the person who says to you, it's true, it's true. I'm saying to you, he that hears my word and believes God that sent me has everlasting life. So, let me just apply this personally. How and why am I saved? Because Jesus died for me on the cross and shed his blood for me. How and why do I know I'm saved? Not because I feel it. Not because I have great joy. I know I am saved because the Bible tells me that Jesus put my sins away. And I believe God. I believe that what God says is true. And I hope you will understand that you can trust him and his word. Yes, he that hears my word has everlasting life. It's a present possession. God cannot lie. Trust in the trustworthy one today, won't you? The one who died for sinners and rejoice in the sure knowledge of a relationship with Christ, of sins forgiven, and eternal life in the presence of God forevermore. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening. And we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul. 